Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Liva Rizende. I'm one of the trustees of the Design History Society as the treasurer. And it's a great pleasure to be here today chairing um, the panel called Exhibition and Conflict. Um, our first speaker is Harriet Atkinson, who's going to be talking about propaganda in three dimensions, British Ministry of Information exhibitions during World War II. And then we'll follow suit to talk to Laura Elliott, who will be talking about modernizing the VNA from war to reconstruction, 1918 to 1951. And we'll finish the, um, the, the, the three talks with Andres Pardo Rodriguez, We'll be talking about collective memory and conflict representation, war and peace in Colombian museums. And as is being usual in this conference, we'll just then open up for questions and debate with the floor. Thank you very much. I'd like to pass the word to Harriet. Thank you. So I'm going to talk today about the work of the exhibitions branch of the Minis British Ministry of Information, um, which was the department responsible for publicity and propaganda during World War II. Um, the work towards this paper started while I was thinking about contexts for the Festival of Britain's exhibition style for my book on that subject, which was published a couple of years ago. Um, but in the exhibitions I will talk about today are the embryonic ideas for many of the festival's display strategies and techniques in 1951. But I've also continued to think about these wartime shows in the context of my current interest in design collaboration in mid-20th century Britain. So I'll start. Five years after the end of World War II, exhibition designer Misha Black declared that Britain led the world in the design of propaganda exhibitions. He wrote, quote, the exigence of war propaganda has created in this country experience in the informative and storytelling type of exhibition as differentiated from the simple display of commodities. Exhibitions were widely used by public bodies to educate, to inform, and to entertain the public. In Whitehall, the Ministry of Information, or MOI, pioneered exhibition as a form of communication during war. MOI, formed the day after Britain's declaration of war in 1939, was responsible for developing publicity and propaganda to support Britain's war effort. In MOI, there were teams producing photographs, posters, films, as well as displays and exhibitions. It is these, this series of exhibitions, organised by the MOI's so-called exhibitions branch, that are my focus today. Exhibitions, by creating three-dimensional environments in which to communicate their message, were seen as a particularly effective and immediate way of communicating to the public and for inciting the public to certain behaviours. Um, propaganda in three dimensions, to coin Misha Black's phrase. Populated with a prominent group of designers, the MOI exhibitions branch was headed from 1940 by graphic designer Milner Gray, with Misha Black supporting him. Gray and Black had worked as design partners since the 1930s, and their most significant partnership as design research unit was formed in 1942 during their time working at MOI. Black and co-workers in, in MOI, such as James Holland, were members of the Communist Party of Great Britain, something which at the time was not considered incompatible with their role as government exhibition designers. Black was a modernist, 
in that form, in that term's most formal sense, being secretary to the British Modern Architecture Group, or Mars. And both Grey and Black were strongly influenced by Bauhaus ideals. They believed that collaboration across professional boundaries between architects, artists and designers, and, across collabora uh, and collaboration across medium was the route through which they would create the modern world. Aside from Black and Grey, the MOI exhibitions branch also drew contributions from many other prominent designers and architects. These included designers Peter Ray, James Holland, FHK Henrian, Bronick Katz and Richard Levin, and architects Peter Morrow and Frederick Gibbard. They were very, there were very limited opportunities for architects to build during war, so exhibitions provided the chance for architects to explore ideas in three dimensions. In addition to architectural training, some of these designers had trained as exhibition designers or so-called commercial artists. Notably, a large number of them were emigre to Britain, uh, Black, Henry and Katz and Morrow among them. These designers were strongly influenced by, uh, by currents within European modernism, by constructivism, by surrealism and the new typography, and by other European expanded photographic exhibitions which had been written up in the architectural press at the time. Uh, and the exhibitions uh, branch of MRI was a kind of service department for all Whitehall departments, and it, so in that sense its, its impact was diffuse. Um, because it was always working um, on the instruction of, of one of the other Whitehall departments. So these ex information exhibitions ranged from small display units to window displays that were shown in shops across the country to full-scale exhibitions held on prominent sites. Most of them were travelling shows uh, and many went to multiple venues and they were designed to fit context from, from municipal halls to blitz sites, um, and some were shown on specially adapted vehicles. Uh, so I'm going to show some images of some of these shows. Here's an installation of Off the Ration at Charing Cross Station. Uh, this was a campaign aiming to inspire the public to rear animals for meat. This campaign was designed as a small exhibition um, which was complete with live animals um, in the bottom right. Um, and then there was also a larger show related to this campaign which was <coughs> held at London Zoo. Um, this is one of the windows displays for this campaign. And here are a couple of posters. Um, the one on the left by graphic designer FHK Henry and the one on the right by um, design duo um, uh, Polish-born emigre duo Jan Lewitt and George Him. Here's a, uh, an image of uh, Private Scrap Builds a Bomber, a travelling show which publicised the salvage drive on a special vehicle. And here's one of Fireguard, which was about the work of the fire station, also shown at Charing Cross Underground Station. The Ministry of Agriculture's Dig for Victory campaign, which is, was originally entitled either Grow More Food or Grow Your Own Food, had called for every man and woman in Britain to keep an allotment. This ensured that British people had access to fresh food and freed up space on ships to carry essential wartime machinery. 
Dig for Victory was widely publicised through information posters. With their limited size and space, posters relied on the art of integration, as graphic designer Abram Games described it. Maximum meaning, minimum means, to use his well-known maxim. But this campaign, as with many, was also thought fought through the medium of exhibition. So from 1940, Milner Gray, Peter Ray, uh, Milner Gray, Peter Ray, Katz and FHK Henry and worked on the Grow More Food touring show, which is shown here. This explained through collages of photographs, charts and text how people should turn over their outside space for planting. This became a more sophisticated installation a year or so later as Dig for Victory. These exhibitions with few objects relied on other means through which to communicate their message. Exhibition stands constructed out of poles carved as gigantic garden spades echoed the design of Dig for Victory posters and relied on isotypes to convey messages. Other stands were designed with striped awnings of food and planting techniques uh, sorry, um, awnings resembling grocer stalls and a combination of text, diagrams and basic drawings of food and planting techniques were used to instruct visitors on how to, here, dig well. So thinly, plant carefully and tackle pests early, as is in this, in this slide. A section on garden pests, uh, this one, showed wireworms, slugs and leather jackets uh, carrying Nazi insignia, as shown here. This added humour to the didactic presentation. Uh, exhibition became, in these, uh, exhibition became a medium through which to induce a particular action, sequence of behaviours or an emotional response in the onlooker. No distinction was drawn in this, these shows between words, things, photographs, models, drawings or diagrams. All were seen as subservient to the idea, which was to help people to change their everyday behaviours for the greater public good. The MOI's Lifeline travelling exhibition was about the contribution of Britain's ships. It was first shown in 1941 with the aim of again explaining the contribution that ordinary householders could make to the war effort. There was a, a kind of anomaly at the heart of exhibitions such as Lifeline, which was that their subjects, which were often highly technical or abstracted, didn't immediately lend themselves to visual interpretation, but they were being explained through visual means. Lifeline was designed by a team which included FHK Henryan and it again used a combination of captions, isotypes, documentary photograph of ships at work and much magnified photographs of the faces of named seamen. So here are a few images from the show. Images such as these uh, of John Reed, say, able seaman, named person, and Willem Hermans Trotzenberg, fireman, for example, were accompanied by personal biography and testimony. These photographs gave a sense of intimacy and proximity, which allowed a move from statistical data to the stories of individuals, a typical formula that twinned collective achievement with individual so social responsibility.
This was an approach that would not have seemed out of place in the pages of British photo news magazine Picture Post, for example. Uh, Picture Post had been presenting stories and articles about so-called ordinary Britons in written and pictorial form side by side since its inception in 1938. The photography of Lifeline used a similar visual language for expressing abstracts such as pride and allegiance. It asserted an image of one nation, united despite barriers of class or culture. Photographs, words and graphics worked in, in relay, in, in Roland Barthes' sense, of being mutually enforcing and interdependent. Importantly too, these exhibitions used a narrative thread, a storytelling element, to draw audiences between the focus on nations and individuals, between one person and ships in distant places, to simplify as far as possible the complexities of the war effort. They relied on text to communicate the intricacies of their messages, uh, with display designers working side by side with exhibition script writers. This narrative had a physical impact on how visitors were expected to see the exhibition and prescribed routes through the show must be followed. And although the rather domestic subject of Dig for Victory, say, and the military focus of Lifeline um, at, at first appear a kind of world apart, in a sense they were two sides of the same coin because both were intended to make the public aware of how their own personal habits and choices impact on this wider war effort. The army, um, <clears throat> a couple more shows of the Lifeline show, slides of the Lifeline show. The army exhibition shown here was probably the MOI's most ambitious show. It was designed for the war office and staged on the bombed Oxford Street site of the John Lewis department store in 1943. And it later toured to Birmingham and Cardiff. The show covered 56,000 square feet and showed 23,000 exhibits. Its aim was to give the public an idea of how the army was organised and it explained communications, food, transport, clothing, munitions and medical services through sections such as a gun's life and yours, every bit of fuel counts and every ounce of salvage counts. So here's, um, on the left, an aerial view of the Oxford Street installation, and on the right, the New Street Birmingham installation of the show. So the exhibition ranged from very large exhibits to tiny ones. In the organisers' words, it, it was trying to show everything from Churchill tanks to optical lenses. It used a mixture of means to communicate its message again about the might and modernity of the British Army. This included graphs, full-sized military equipment, striking enlarged graphics and integrated text panels which were built out of the rubble of the site in the open air under small awninged display boxes and panels. Uh, on the, on the left-hand side, um, Sort of top left, a 30-foot tower of jerry cans suspended in a metal frame built by designer Richard Levin. Seen in the left image was a visual illustration of the amount of fuel used by an armoured division in two and a half minutes. As a final point, I'd like to show that these exhibitions branch designers were not only restricted to working on 
that kind of propaganda during World War II. So Misha Black, James Holland and FHK Henrian were also prominent in organising the Artists International Association exhibition for Liberty in 1943, for example, alongside their work on these other shows. Artists had been criticised in some quarters during the war for not being seen to fight through their work. Within the MOI itself, there were other well-known schemes employing artists, the War Artist Scheme and Kenneth Clark's Recording Britain. But these schemes were largely focused towards recording the effects of the Blitz and the war effort on the home front. The AIA's 1943 for Liberty show was a more overtly political attempt to show what the war effort was about. The four freedoms which for Liberty represented were those set out in the 1941 North Atlantic Charter. They were the goals the Allies would combine forces to achieve <clears throat> in the post-war world. They were freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want and freedom from fear. The show of 150 paintings was held on the same Oxford Street site the army exhibition of earlier that year had been held on, uh, in the shell of the John Lewis basement canteen. The exhibition aimed, according to its catalogue, to show, quote, that the function of art in wartime is not only to record what is, what is happening and to give enjoyment and re recreation, but to stimulate and encourage by vividly representing what we are fighting for. The British press, particularly the right-wing press, responded negatively to For, for Liberty, criticising artists for producing propaganda for political or social aims, and in so doing, drawing a distinction between this form of propaganda, or perceived propaganda, and that perceived to be produced by the government itself. The For Liberty show was very popular with the public and attracted 36,000 visitors in a month. So the impact of these exhibitions developed in wartime Britain, um, and I'm talking now about the MOI shows again, was for some commentators profound. Graphic designer Ashley Havenden wrote in 1956 that the Ministry of Information's exhibition branch had laid the foundation for modern exhibition technique as we know it today. Assessing the impact of the MOI a few years later, Misha Black asserted that these exhibitions had distinguished themselves in Europe by showing that propaganda exhibitions could show the ideals of a democratic country instead of what he described as, quote, the Nazi hysteria-stimulating technique. Aside from this, these wartime projects were significant sites of collaboration for designers, collaborations that these designers would, go, would build on in many interesting ways in civilian life. Um, that's all.